Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. Uh, hanging out with our Brad over here, drinking beers, having a good time. It is a little gloomy here in the Bay Area, but it was a great Monday. What's up with you, man? Oh, uh, you know, just watching the one-minute chart on Ether. Uh, my uh, my forex DYDX position is uh, looking really nice right now. But you know, yeah, Ether had a little nice little pump today. Yeah, going from 154 to 179. Maybe maybe not hitting the top yet. We'll see what happens. It's been a good day. Is a dump imminent or what? Oh, don't ask me. Hopefully not. I feel I, I feel like everything is everything is going to retest. Everything went fa- up way too fast. Yeah, we are kind of coming to the end of this uh, this bull pennant right at the right at the bottom of the market, where we'll actually see if we have like six more months of bear market or not. God, TA with Christian and David. <laughs> By the way, this is definitely not investment advice. Yeah, no, we are we are TA dummies for sure. Anyways, let's get into the meat of this. Christian, do you want to uh, introduce our guest? Yeah. So, uh, Brad Cam co-founder of Unstoppable Domains. Me and him met up in Miami a long time ago, got reconnected. Unstoppable is a fan of the show and they wanted to get on and we we're stoked to get them on. You know, we are always looking for interesting perspectives in this space and Brad definitely brought it. We talked about, first and foremost, his company, what he's trying to build, why they're fighting for freedom, uh, fighting for sovereign data, fighting for unstoppable information on the internet, then we get into a little bit more about you know how they view the space. They're definitely more on the polychain, multi-coin view of everything shaking out. So definitely a different perspective. But this was a super fun podcast, and we did not take it easy on Brad. We we hurled some mud. We asked him some tough questions, and he handled it like, like a champ. Brad and his team, Unstoppable Domains, uh, they are one of the few teams that will be in the future of crypto no matter what. You know where where some sort of blockchains. If you if you're like Christian and me, you believe that not really all the blockchains are going to to make it into the future. Uh, and Unstoppable Domains has positioned themselves so that they are immune from all of the the protocol wars. Uh, and so um, Brad in the episode talks about how he believes that there's going to be a polycoin world, but I don't think he made an opinion about which coins will and will not will not last and that's reflected in his business strategy and so we kind of go into into that how there are these uh, two types of developers one ones that are kind of confined to blockchains that might have their work erased and then others that are blockchain agnostic but the infrastructure being built will be able to be carried on into the future no matter what the cryptocurrency world looks like in five ten a hundred years so that was pretty valuable to me for sure yeah, absolutely. And just kind of building off on that, you know, he's not trying to make a business decision on what blockchain is going to win. What he's really thinking about is how does he build the best user experience possible so that no matter what, he can leverage this technology to build an experience that is demanded. And basically hearing about what's going on early on in the company's lifestyle life cycle, you know, they have struck a chord with blockchain users, cryptocurrency users, and people that appreciate this tech. So super exciting stuff. Definitely a company to keep tabs on, keep an eye on, and see what unfolds. I know that um, you know they're going into the live. They're going live in full functionality um, going into the summer. So very exciting. And without further ado, Brad Camp.
All right, everyone. I am super excited to introduce you to Bradley Cam, the co-founder of Unstoppable Domains. Unstoppable Domains is a single, what is it, like a, a user, just one name domain where you can send any cryptocurrency to and it'll go to the right wallet. It's a super cool project and excited to kind of jump into his company as well as their take on the cryptocurrency space in general. Brad, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself and, uh, and Unstoppable. Thanks a lot, and thanks for having me. So I'm Brad, I'm co-founder of Unstoppable Domains. Uh, my background, I'm from Atlanta. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 19 or so. Started in the real estate world. Uh, moved to San Francisco to uh, work on a software startup, a company called Talkable, building refer friend programs for e-commerce companies. Spent the past few years building that up. Uh, hired a new CEO for that and stepped back so I could focus full-time on crypto. I uh, kind of bit the crypto bug in 2012. I moved into 20 Mission when I moved to oh, San Francisco. Nice. And uh, everybody I met, all the people I met actually when I first moved here were uh, were Bitcoin hackers. There was a Bitcoin exchange that was started there. I think Vitalik gave a talk there before Ethereum launched in our courtyard. So I uh, I was very fortunate. I just got inundated inundated with it when I, when I moved here. So. So yeah, that's me. So what aspect about crypto kind of hooked you in? Uh, I think it was the revolutionary aspect. This idea that you, yeah, this idea that you could have, uh, you could have currency, you know, not controlled by government. I, I always kind of saw that as the biggest problem. I studied, you know, like politics, international politics in college and even a little bit in grad school. And I always saw that as the core problem. And then, man, someone came up with a solution. That was crazy. I didn't even know that was possible. What did you study in college and grad school? Uh, Middle Eastern politics, actually. Ah, interesting. Any anything currency related and all, and all that stuff? Uh, it was more of like from the perspective of like how do governments use their currency to retain control, use power, you know, dole out favors, that sort of thing. It was more like what are the levers that uh, authoritarian governments use, and currency is like a big one. So I'm going to want to get into this and I'm personally like I, I think about what uh, cryptocurrency and sovereign money is going to do to fiat and government in general a lot as a Bitcoiner. But I do want to get into unstoppable domains first before we kind of dive into that rabbit hole. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your company? Yeah, so unstoppable domains is building domains on blockchains. And uh, the idea is that a blockchain domain can do two things that a regular domain can't. Uh, the first one is it can replace your cryptocurrency addresses with one single human readable name. Uh, so you can attach your Bitcoin address, your Ethereum address, your Litecoin address, your EOS, your Ripple address, everything all to one domain. Uh, and then when I open up my wallet and I want to pay you, I just need to know that. And then I can select which cryptocurrency I want to pay you in and pay. And your name is already pre-configured with the currencies that you accept. So that's use case number one make payments super simple. Uh, use case number two is uncensorable websites. So uh, because the domain is an asset that sits inside of your wallet, uh, just like a cryptocurrency, it means that no takedown request can take your domain away from you. And if you were to put your content on IPFS or some other decentralized storage network, then uh, that's the other censorship point. No one could take down your content either. So we're building tools to make this easy for those two use cases, payments and websites. So how does that work? Uh, what, what's the mechanism that makes these things unstoppable? 
Uh, it's the fact that the domains are, the registry is a smart contract on a blockchain uh, and the domains are assets. They are unique, unique assets uh, that sit inside of your wallet. And in the traditional system, you have registrars like GoDaddy or Google Domains or whatever, and they're actually a custodian of your domain. So they can move it around, they can take it. Uh, and that's kind of the core, that's that kind of core security flaw is that there's a custodian. And you know, this is, this is the thing that blockchains do is they, they get rid of the custodian, they put us in charge. And so if somebody wants to go to a URL that is an unstoppable domain, can you kind of just connect the, the user flow between someone who's accessing one of these, someone who has purchased one of these? Are you, do you have to purchase these things? How does this all work? Can you kind of illustrate this, the, the product for us? Yeah, so it's going to, so that there's, there's three main pieces of what we're making. Uh, one is the registry. So this is, uh, we're launching a new domain extension called .zil on the blockchain. Uh, two is we have a GoDaddy style app, unstoppabledomains.com, where you can buy domains, where you can add your cryptocurrency addresses to them, and where in the near future, we will be providing you with tools to spin up your own websites. Uh, on IPFS or other decentralized storage networks. So the way that you'll access those websites is through browser extensions initially. Uh, we have a couple of partners already that are wallets that are, that are browser extensions. And the way that it'll work is you'll essentially write uh, an IPFS hash to, to the blockchain. It will be associated with your domain. Uh, and then when I go to the domain, sorry, when I type in the domain, it will look up the blockchain, point me to that content, and uh, there I go. There we have a fully separate internet. Uh, so would I be incorrect if I uh, would were to assume that this blockchain that you're talking about is Ethereum? Uh, so the first blockchain that we're building on is Zilliqa, actually. Ah. Yes, but we did build a demo product uh, on Ethereum, uh, and we would we would we would build on uh, on Ethereum in the future. Why'd you pick Zilliqa in, instead of Ethereum? Uh, initially, it was because we were excited by their scaling solution and by their team in general, uh, and they wanted to partner with us. So they're actually a, they're actually a partner with us on on Dodzil. Um, I think the key thing, though, to keep in mind, just in general, is that regardless of what blockchain your do your domain happens to live on, uh, you as the user probably won't even notice. Uh, you will have your Bitcoin address, your Ethereum address, your Litecoin address all of your addresses still associated with one domain. So it's almost kind of like a, like a backend developer consideration more than it is a user consideration. Uh, I think if you had two different domains sitting on separate blockchains, you wouldn't actually notice. Why are you guys doing this? Like what, what vision is inspiring you to build this kind of infrastructure and like what, what, like what need are you trying to solve here? Is it really just trying to make it easier for me to accept the cryptos I want or is it kind of more deep seated and ideological? Yeah, well, I think that there's, you know, I, I think that the payments aspect uh, also comes from uh, an ideological place, but I think that uh, it, it's really about it's really about censorship, and it's really about uh, it's really about providing a free internet to the world. I think that this is something that uh, if we don't have, we as a society are at risk. Uh, and I think that we're more and more at risk as as the internet has progressed because the systems are centralized 
And now the systems are getting really advanced, which means that a very small number of people now control a huge amount of infrastructure and power. And that wasn't even true 10 or 15 years ago. Now we have the Facebooks and the Googles and the ICANs and the governments and all this other sort of stuff. They everybody, All of these parties have all of this information and all this data. And I think that if we don't decentralize it, um, I don't think that I don't think that the trajectory will be will be positive for us. So it feels like a necessity to do it. Um, that's I guess the first thing. I also think that this just making crypto payments easier is part of is part of the same uh, is part of the same desire because these are censorship resistant payments. And if they have bad UX, if they have bad UI, if they're hard to use, they won't be used. The crypto community is maybe 20 or 30 million people. We know that there's at least another billion or 2 billion or 3 billion people that would find these tools really valuable and really important, but they're they're too hard to use right now. So who are you building this for? For everyone. But like there has to, as a business, like there has to be like, this is our number one objective. Like this is our core target. Like, are you building it for, you know, Venezuelan grandmas? Yeah. Where, where do you see your product market fit? So initially, it is the crypto community itself, uh, and the reason why is because blockchain domains uh, on day one will be valuable and useful as payment gateways. Attaching all your crypto addresses, have, managing all these crypto addresses, this is something that every single crypto user, this is a problem every single crypto user already has. So we think that's, that's use case number one. Uh, we think that's the first pool of people that will want to adopt this. And then on the side of websites, we think it's going to be the people uh, that are currently getting content, uh, that currently are restricted from being able to uh, produce content. And I think it'll start with very simple stuff like text, news. And I think it'll be about uh, places that don't have a free internet. Uh, and I think it'll be it'll be those use cases first because I think those are the ones that the technology can already support now. Um, these websites are going to be like we're basically going to be rewinding the internet to like 1996 levels. Like we're talking about like GeoCities type tools. If anybody if anybody ever used it back in the day for web builders, like it's going to start with very simple stuff. So it's only going to be the people that really need censorship resistance and payments. What I would imagine is that the first types of customers that you would receive are the like you said the ones that really need censorship resistance which you know ideally we want we want this to be like some ideological battle between censorship and big government versus you know the little guy but i'm, I'm kind of worried that your first big customers are going to be uh like silk road type type websites uh are you kind of are you guys kind of worried about somebody using your guys's platform for something that might get you guys into trouble I mean, we're definitely worried. We definitely do not want people to be using technology for purposes that are harmful and bad and illegal. Um, however, the nature of the technology itself, in order to have a fully secure system, you need to not have any uh, back doors at the protocol level. So it's critical, actually, to have a secure system. There's actually no other way to build one, so far as we can tell. So that's critical. Uh, it does create this other problem or potentially enhance this other problem. Although I would actually argue that um, the current centralized systems are not uh, are not solving this either. Um, but we actually think that so 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 the way that we're the way that we are approaching this is we think that the filtering should happen at the second layer. So we will support filtered lists that identify bad addresses. We will not resolve uh, those addresses in our search inside of our app. Uh, we will not uh, 
in partner applications, we will also offer those filtering lists. But the point is, is that applications will still be able to choose to ignore that and look up the blockchain directly. So if you think about the commercial web, if you think about companies, companies are going to want to abide by the laws, the laws of their lands and the laws of, you know, the, the, the laws of acceptable behavior. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. And I think that's what 90, 95, 99% of the internet looks like now and will look like in the future in this paradigm too. Uh, I actually think it'll be better because right now uh, what you have is you have Facebook has to do their own filtering and they don't share and YouTube has to do their own and they don't share. And all of these other companies are essentially uh, tasked with this unmanageable problem, uh, but they don't cooperate. And we're talking about shared filtered lists. Uh, mm. We actually think that might be a better solution. And we're already looking for partners to help us um, to help us identify, you know, at, at sort of a, a technology level, um, how to filter out this stuff better. Because I think that's also going to be an important piece. So does that kind of allude to the fact that um, Facebook and YouTube and all these centralized platforms have to do their job when it comes to compliance and, and legal, um, you know, being being in com legal compliance with uh, the U.S. government, but because they are uh, these gated platforms that they don't, it's not efficient for them because each one is are fighting the same battles over and over and over again. And because you are this open network, it's kind of a community driven um, filtering that all of that effort is um, is scaled because it, it applies to everyone else because it's done by the community. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. What is most wrong with the current system? You kind of alluded a little bit to it, but like, what like what is so broken, and like, why do you think building on top of blockchains this uncensorable domain system is solving that? It's not secure. That's the core problem. These are centralized systems with databases trying to control our data, and I think anybody who's been watching over the past few years can't feel confident that they're doing a good job. Any of these centralized platforms. If it's because of their, and part of it is because of the profit motive. Their goal is to collect as much data on you as you can. Uh, that is not the business model of these new companies. These new companies, like us, are selling an asset. We're not selling you. Facebook sells you. So it's different. I think that's the, that's the, that's the, maybe the, the sharpest way to say it. There was another piece of your question that I wanted to touch on. But I... yeah, how does, how does Unstoppable Domains fix it? Yeah, so you move the entire, if you move the entire framework uh, of the internet uh, onto a blockchain-based system where you start with the user controls their data, the user controls uh, their money, the user controls their assets, then the user opts in. So instead of having Facebook controlling all of my data and locking me in, and now Facebook is this monopoly, Facebook and Facebooks like it would be applications asking me for access to my data, maybe even access to just read my data in an encrypted manner so they can't even see it, just so they can offer me services. But because I control it, I can then shop around. There could be 50 social media applications trying to get my business. But if they control my data, they're the monopoly. But doesn't that mean that the underlying blockchain layer has to be secure enough that you can trust that you actually control it? Like, at, like how do you make decisions on, do you build on Silica, do you build on ETH, do you build on EOS? Like, how do you make those kind of critical decisions? And then, like, at what threshold is a blockchain not secure enough for it to be an, uns an unstoppable domain or application? I think that's a, that's a good question. It's also a philosophical question. 
Um, I think there is still probably no perfect system. Um, so we're focused on the, uh, we're, in terms of where we put your domain asset, we would want to put it on the most secure systems that we can find. And if that's a moving target, meaning if uh, which systems, which blockchains are seen as the most secure over time changes, uh, then that may be an argument for moving assets to a different place. Uh, I'm not saying I think that's likely. I actually don't necessarily think that's likely. Um, but I think that that's the, that's the goal. The goal is for it to be as secure as possible. No blockchain, I guess, is completely secure. So we won't, maybe we won't be able to get all the way there, but as close as we can. Brad, I kind of want to get back into the technicals of unstoppable, unstoppable domains. How does uh, a a human readable name solve the issue of like? How does a human readable name like an address like that kind of create a central place for me to send Bitcoin or Ether or Litecoin or all these different cryptocurrencies that don't use human readable names? How do you guys bridge that gap? Yeah, so what's really happening is actually a really, it's a really simple thing. Uh, you have your domain on the blockchain, you control your private keys, you can write information to the blockchain. So you write, my Bitcoin address is this, my Ethereum address is that, my Litecoin address is this other thing. Then on each it. respective blockchain? Uh, only on one, because it doesn't, because you only need to do it your domain is on one blockchain, you're writing information to it. And is that Zilliqa? Okay. So, and you're writing your Bitcoin address, your Ethereum, you're writing all of your addresses. It's the same process. You need only one, you only need one domain and you have, okay. you're writing all of these addresses to the blockchain. And then what happens when I go into a wallet, let's say, you know, you want to pay me, brad.zill, mm -hmm. uh, you would go into a wallet, you would type that in, uh, you would select which currency you wanted to pay me in, or you would start with. So you provide Zillica with your the private keys for each of your respective blockchain addresses, right? Uh, no, these are just public no. addresses. Think of it like this: you're saying, "Here's me." You're saying, like, you're writing this. In okay, here's all that's happening mm -hmm. is is you're just writing mm -hmm. this information to the blockchain, and you can literally just read it on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. My Bitcoin address. This here's this domain. My Bitcoin address is this. My Ethereum address is that. Now, when I type it into a wallet, brad.zill, that wallet does a lookup on the blockchain, searches for that domain, reads, okay, the person wants, okay, I'm supposed to be looking for the Ethereum address. Okay, the Ethereum address is this, drops it into the send field. We should do that for POV. Yeah, yeah, we should. Okay. We and always then... run into the issue where there's like too much stuff in our show notes <laughs> and we list like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Monero, mm -hmm. whatever else like our guests want to host. Like we should just put like, at pov.zill it would solve a lot of our text issues first use case you were asking about the fir first use case it's mm -hmm. people who are crypto influencers those are people who are <laughs> people who are already getting paid in crypto right now who have this problem and we see this all over the place people putting on their twitter feeds and they're listing four or five or six different cryptocurrency addresses and when you have your when you have your blockchain domain i mentioned that you can attach your you know you can associate your cryptocurrency addresses to it you can verify your social accounts with it too. You mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. you can write this is my Twitter account to this domain. Right. This is my Telegram account or whatever. This is my so now I have actually have a registry of these different things. And then when I go into a wallet to pay you, I see that before I pay. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I see the Twitter account. Oh yeah, it's definitely the right person. 
So if somebody sends us ether or die, do and then our handle is POV crypto, do they type in the two field in a in an Ethereum transaction, whether it's on like MetaMask or Coinbase wallet? Do they literally type send to POV crypto at dot zil and then yeah dot zil okay and then that's true for bitcoin that's true for litecoin after you've registered everything on the zillica blockchain yeah and, it, and it's actually it, it's actually so much simpler than it seems when you see it you just type in you type in the address the wallet is just go it says okay let me just go see what the blockchain says and reading the blockchain is free mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's a public you know it's a public blockchain no gas. So the wallet just goes oh Okay, you want a Bitcoin address? Okay, here's the Bitcoin address, and it just drops it in the send field. Okay. How is this different from Ethereum's ENS? It works for any cryptocurrency. ENS only works for Ethereum. So I guess ENS is for IPFS inside of Ethereum, and Zilliqa is a different IPFS. It would be the same IPFS. Uh, the thing is, like the, the, the way that the website aspect will work, uh, at least currently, um, between our system and theirs is actually quite similar. Uh, the mm-hmm. way that the payments stuff works is quite different, uh, and it's mostly that uh, we will res- we we our contract accepts our standard accepts any any cryptocurrency, uh, and if you think about use cases, like that's the real use case. The real use case is my Bitcoin address, my Ethereum address, my Litecoin address. It's not just only send me this one currency. I understand that. In terms of like this use case that you're just kind of painting here, that business is going quite well. People are really excited about this. Like, what exciting things do you see people doing with their silica addresses today? So right now, what you can do. So right now, we're in the pre-order phase, and I, I can explain a little bit about how we're doing the the distribution process in general. Uh, we looked at the way that the traditional domain uh, extension industry launches, and there's a couple of phases. So you start out with a pre-order phase. Uh, where you announce and you try to get some initial uh, initial interest, you try to get people on board so that when you go live, you will have users uh, ready to use it. Uh, you also announce to trademark holders, and we've done this as well, uh, where we're trying to notify trademark holders uh, in order to get them to claim their .zill domains. And there's a little bit of uh, verification associated with that. Do they have to pay for that? They do. I mean, everyone has to pay for their domain. But uh, the verification is not something we do. That's like a, a legal thing. Uh, and then in June, the contract will go live on the blockchain. You'll be able to use your domains. Uh, and then about a week later, we'll have a public uh, auction where the top few thousand domains uh, will be able to be bid on by anyone in the world. It's also a public auction. You'll be able to see all the bids publicly and anyone can participate. They're buying them from the contract, technically. And so how does the contract price them? Bids will start at $10 for regular domains uh, and a bit and a bit higher for premium domains. I think it's uh, we were still doing the math on it, but I think it's two fifty for the most part. And who, that that money goes to who? Uh, it goes to us and the Zillica Foundation, and there's other partners. So how do you? So you guys created every single domain. Is that how this works? So every permutation of characters out there is under your guys's control, and they're buying them from you guys. Is that how it works? Essentially, what's happening is is yeah, they're being like they're being like minted. Um, you uh-huh. know, and you can, and you have, you know, as long as there's not an existing, uh, entry in the, in the contract, then you can have a new mm-hmm. domain. So what's, what's preventing a, a competitive to, or a competitor to unstoppable domains going and doing the same thing? Like, do you guys have like a moat or something that prevents uh, somebody else from 
going and getting a land grab first? I think there's like three critical pieces in order to make it all work. So mm-hmm. you need the re- you need the registry contract. You need that to work. You need the mechanics to work there. And I think we've got a lot of novel ideas on uh, on the auction auction theory and on distribution. And we've also been doing a lot of partnerships. So that's one piece. Uh, but the other two pieces which are critical are uh, having the consumer experience, which is unstoppabledomains.com, where you can actually easily mm-hmm. buy a domain, where you can easily pay, where you can easily configure your domains, where we're going to uh, have a very simple decentralized hosting product. So you'll be able to pay a few bucks a month in order to uh, in order to uh, host your website on decentralized storage. Uh, all of the like that that whole piece is really critical. And then the final piece. Uh, is wallets and uh, wallets and other apps. So we have a library and an API, uh, and we are working with wallets and other partners to get them integrated, uh, and uh, that's the other piece. So it's really this whole ecosystem problem of these three these three things, the registry, uh, the consumer experience, and the, the partner apps. And I think you got to do all three. So if I wanted to like register povcrypto.zil and go beyond just you know, you can send my, my, you can send Ether or Bitcoin to these addresses. What, like, how would I build a website around that when that's ready? Like, could I build a WordPress website with POV.Zill? Like, do you guys have to supply all that architecture or can you kind of like leech on to what exists with Web 2.0? It's a really good question. I think the answer is that in the short term, there will not be Web 2.0 integra- integrations, meaning in the first, say, a few months to a year. Uh, I think initially it'll be kind of blockchain first tooling and it'll be built primarily around this use case of text-based websites primarily text-based websites uh, with uh, you know with links and uh, with payments so that will be the first thing and the first iteration of this and it'll be people uh, who want to use it for those reasons uh, initially Uh, over time yes I think we'll have integrations and I also think there's going to be an entire ecosystem of tools I think we actually I think we legitimately do need to rebuild the internet in this way. And uh, I think that as soon as we have even a small number of users that want it, uh, there will be all kinds of all kinds of demand for new tools. Like I, I, I see a very big market forming around a lot of this stuff. How big is a website in, in data size? And are you guys storing the whole entire thing? And how is that done? It's stored, so it would be stored on like essentially a series of uh, a series of nodes. You know, like like IP, the way IPF, IPFS works is you're basically you basically have, you know, you you have multiple different nodes, different parties storing your content, pinning your content for you, uh, and you're paying them. Hopefully, uh, we'll be making that system to make it so you. So this is like Filecoin or storage or or and this is a function that's built into Zilliqa. Uh, it's a separate thing. Uh, you're really like the where your content is stored and where your domain lives are two really they're separate things in the in the traditional in the traditional DNS world as well. It's just we don't have good like words for it like a website. You know like a website isn't a real thing. There's your content mm-hmm. and there's your domain. Oh, maybe a website is a combination of the two. Not really sure. We just don't have good words for this. I think. <laughs> um, so so the content is on IPFS. Uh, or, but it could also be on Amazon Web Services. Like you could have a blockchain domain pointing to content on Amazon Web Services. The point here is that that already exists. Amazon Web Services already exists, so we don't need to build that. The thing that doesn't exist is an easy way for you to store your content on decentralized storage that can't be taken down. Because Amazon Web Services, if they get a takedown request, uh, your website's gone. If we get a takedown request, we'll say uh, we don't control the domain, they do. 
and the content is on a decentralized storage network and the, the people that are storing it, the computers that are storing it, don't even know what they're storing. Mm-hmm. So no one is taking an opinion on what content there is. So it's basically like we're trading all of the fancy tools that we've gotten accustomed to on the internet over the past 22 years. Uh, and we're just going back to just like complete, complete the beginning, but with these new features. Right. I'm, assu- I'm assuming that, that data that they have stored is, is encrypted, right? So they can't even see what, what they have stored. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the idea. Uh, and because these are text files, you know, initially, like, I mean, you know, you're not going to be able to build a Netflix on decentralized storage anytime soon. But I think you could build a basic blog or a basic news site. And I think a basic, mm-hmm. basic news site could be a really big use case early on. You know, I mean, that's actually better than the New York Times. You got payments baked in. New York Times can't accept, you know, 25 cents for an article. Mm-hmm. Can that be automated? If somebody, like, if I say I go to this unstoppable domains URL that has an Ethereum address built into it, and it's a it's a blog article, and then can, can it trigger my MetaMask to pop up and say, hey, do you want to send, like, a quarter of a die to the owner of this address and I could just click yes or no. Is that, is that a function that, that could happen? Totally. Yeah. I think there's, there's kind of two ways that happens. You can, you know, because you have, um, you know, I think the other way to do it is to do it with mobile app, mobile app pushes. Cause you can have your, your private key stored on a, stored on a, on a phone. And, uh, then it could just be that way where even a website would be triggering, uh, essentially asking you to sign, sign a transaction, giving permissions to whatever. And now, yeah, now, now you basically, your blockchain domain is like your single sign on. Cool. Very neat. So I guess going with that, like what, and, and I know that we kind of touched on this a little bit, but what makes an unstoppable domain unstoppable? Like, does it really come, like, is Zilliqa unstoppable? Like if the U.S. government wanted to stop Zilliqa, could they stop it? Like, how do you kind of assess that? Like, you know, at what point is like, you know, this guy posting, mm-hmm x explicit content on x blockchain that's actually kind of centralized like that destroys the value prop where it's like so infuriating that a significant government is going to go down to the players and shut it down i mean i think putting something on ripple would not be a good idea um for example i think um from what we have seen from ethereum and zilliqa we would feel comfortable so what is that what is that the the structure of a system that involves uh, no clear owner. There's no, there's no clear owner. There's no clear way to, to take it down. And I think that's, that's definitely true for, for Ethereum. And I think it's also true for, for other smart contract blockchains as well. So um, I think it's also true for Bitcoin. So I think those, I think those networks and those models have proved themselves as best they could for us as a business. You know, we're going to we're going to obviously stay vigilant because we, you know, we want these we want this to be the feature set that we're offering. But right now we, we feel good about these tools so far. So good. So, I mean, like, I guess, like, let's just dig into Zillico. I know that they they wanted to work with you. The Zillico Foundation is partnered with you. They have a financial interest to sell domains with you. What features do they have that made you feel like, hey, you know, this is good enough for the cause that we're trying to. Try and drive, and I understand that like a lot of Bitcoin maximalists have this very polar view on how this should work. Like Bitcoin is all the way, you know, on this one extreme, and I do admit that there are a lot of use cases where decentralized enough is really 
actually very, very useful and game-changing. It doesn't have to be, you know, nuclear-grade decentralized. But, like, at what point, like, does... I just, I'm trying to understand, like, what about Zilliqua? What about any other solution that you would consider? Like, what, like, how do you, like, do you have a checklist that you go down and, like, this is what it takes for it to be qualified to be unstoppable? Hmm. I mean, it is a good question, and I think that um, codifying this in writing for us as a company is something that I, I now want to, I now want to do. Um, I think that the, the, the shortest answer I could give is that these networks. So like, I mean, let's, let's take Ethereum, for example. Um, I think we can say, I think we can say pretty confidently that there haven't been any cases where a, a transaction was able to be reversed because of outside pressure. Uh, where like the network itself, now the network split, and I know that's a different question, but the the network itself was not able to be reversed. Uh, and I think that's been true for Bitcoin, it's been true for Ethereum, it's been true for several other blockchains. And I think that for us as a business, that criteria would satisfy, that we have confidence that nobody could come in and, and, and essentially censor a transaction. Um, so... There's a lot of other questions that people have around decentralization and around how many people control it. We would say that more decentralization is better. Uh, but yeah, it does start to get into gradients and um, it, it starts to get a little mushier. We're less ideological though. Like I said, uh, we're trying to work with a lot of different types of technologies. Uh, we, do, we do believe, like we're very discerning in terms of who we believe are building really great stuff. Uh, but we are, we believe in a multipolar world, I would say. So at the end of the day, when you guys are just kind of relaxing and shooting the shit, do you guys, um, hypothesize about future platforms that could be built on top of on top unstoppable domains, like future use cases or crazy harebrained ideas of what could be built? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff that comes up is around, is around social media is around like users just controlling all of it. And then like, like users control all your data. Then all of a sudden all these apps are like, they got to come to us. They got to come and like provide some really awesome service. And like, maybe they charge us a dollar a month or something for some really awesome service. And if we decide we don't like it, we just switch off and our data and our friend graph and our pictures and all the other stuff that we wanted are just there and ready to go in these new apps. So now there's hyper competition. And I think hyper competition is actually the thing that might that you know that motivates me a lot also in terms of designing systems. If you get to that, man, users are gonna have a great life. So something that I talk about a lot is that like cryptocurrency blockchain, this movement is almost kind of about gamifying the world. Like it's not just about gamifying and designing games. It's like how do we gamify the world? Like how do we play with game theory? How do we like play with these incentives in order to get people to act appropriately? In order to um, protect property without force? In order to do all these things that used to be impossible without a third party or a government to enforce it? So it sounds like you know you feel the same about you know where this space is going, especially with these domains like. Can you kind of talk about like, like what's your cosmic kind of vision of the future when you're kind of looking at this space, looking at the future of the internet, looking at what this technology can do? I think that it's foundationally, if we can give every person in the world the ability to control their money, the ability to control their digital property, 
the ability to control their data, the ability to control their identity, all of those pieces, and they're all together. Anyone can do business with anyone at the starting point, at the protocol, at the base layer. Anyone can just create any kind of financial relationship with anyone in the world. That is, uh, I, I don't, I don't know how we couldn't wind up in a much better, in a much better place as a as a species if if, if we didn't have that. I don't think that we can trust any one person or any one group of people to decide what we should see, what we should do, who we should pay. There's no one to trust. There's no one that's trustworthy enough. I think that's that's what we that's what we as humans have proven to ourselves. So it's a myth. We have to do this. We don't have another. I don't. I don't see another strategy. You recently wrote a post making fun of the protocol wars. It seems like you guys have a very blockchain agnostic kind of view of the world uh there's a lot of monetary maximalists who would really push back on that and say that you know a money is going to converge on one network and stuff like that you know when you're looking at this space more holistically more generally you know what kind of drives this polychain view of the future and you know utility in a lot of different protocols frankly it's non-ideological it's um it's just observing the world uh, there's 20 to 30 million cryptocurrency users. There's a lot of different cryptocurrencies. A lot of them seem to, a lot of people seem to like to use different ones for various reasons and believe in different ones for various reasons. So this is just the world. And if the world were to reconsolidate, um, then we would build differently. But this is what the users want. And this is how our world is unfolding. So we just see no we see no reason to not embrace it this is what the users want and that's what we're following so wait can we get can we get into that a little bit more like i'm assuming you know you you mentioned you're a hodler yourself like i'm assuming that like you're into um you know speculating on these assets like what does that kind of worldview mean for you know what you see in the space right now I wouldn't consider myself someone that speculates on a lot of assets. Like I, I don't see myself as particularly sophisticated in such things. I think I'm relatively conservative, actually. I've, you know, what I've been holding, I think, is generally I've been holding for a while. Um, it's not even that much. Um, it's more that uh, uh, it, it's more that I don't I don't know fully why I care. I care to evaluate which technologies I think are best and which communities I think are strongest. Because I think that's a sign that's those are the communities that I want to be a part of. So that's what I'm doing. But if I were if I guess wrong and something changes next year, will I be upset? I, I don't think so. Um, I think I'll I think I'll be happy as long as the space is moving forward. Uh, I also think that on the you know, on the sort of outskirts of that, there are there are some, you know, there are some much shadier things, and um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be as complimentary of those. So it's certainly not that like everything's okay. It's definitely not that. It's definitely not that. That's such a huge change of pace from what we're used to on POV crypto. <laughs> so if uh, if if Bitcoin or and crypto all just uh, there was some vulnerability that was found in all blockchains ever, and they all just failed, what would you do next? I don't even know. I am yeah. so, I'm so uh, emotionally bought into this this vision taking over in the world. I actually don't even have a good answer. 
we're all crypto maximalists at the end of the day. I've believed it for so long. Like, I mean, it's been like at least six years now um, that I've believed that. So I actually, I mean, it's a good question. I just, I can't even, I can't even really think about it. I don't even know. I guess my question for you is like, I can understand, you know, saying, hey, the world is going in this direction. We're trying to be as a business as agnostic as possible. But at the same time, it's hard to be agnostic when there's skin in the game. Like skin in the game is such an important factor with crypto and it leads to, you know, kind of even ideological behavior because it's hard to change where your skin in the game is. And when you literally have to say, I'm going to stop putting my skin in the game here or stop putting some of my portion of the skin and then move it somewhere else. And that's hard. And I think that is something that's important that is like actually stopping this mono coin future, even if having multiple chains that are sufficiently decentralized is actually technologically and from a utilitarian utilitarian perspective is easier at you know at the same time like this this aspect that you have to literally invest in it and you have to move that investment around i think that's like that's friction Mm -hmm. and it's pretty significant i agree and i think that there's there's kind of two main forces going on there's like the 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 kind of the the protocol layer and the 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 kind of competition around which protocols win and i think like like i said before competition is good hyper competition across blockchains to be the best is also good i think uh then there's the second thing which is the user experience and the user experience doesn't care at all about that that's actually much more a back-end uh, developer consideration. Which blockchain do I plug into? I can tell you right now that a lot of our users don't care. Um, they would like a payment solution that works, and they want uncensorable websites. But um, that's not that's that's what they're thinking about. They're thinking about the user experience. So I think it's just sort of two different questions. It's like I mean, it's like a blessing and a curse that we all have this that we have this investment because we have this alignment of our incentives, but then we also have this bias that it creates. And uh, we have another bias. Our bias is to uh, is to support as many cryptocurrency users as we can, which means that we need to support more than one cryptocurrency community, as many as possible. That's our bias. That's our incentive. Uh, and I think this is very similar to a lot of other companies in the space. And I can remember pretty early on, you know, Coinbase catching a lot of uh, you know catching a lot of flack for various things that they did, mm-hmm. supporting more currencies. Uh, various other things like that, but ultimately, that is what that is what their bias was towards adding cryptocurrency users, and uh, I think it's good. I think you want you want the user experience companies to be competing with each other on this level, and I think you also want blockchains to be competing with each other on that level. So I actually think that both layers of competition are healthy. It's just only a problem if the protocol competition prevents the UX layer from occurring, which I think is one of the things that has been happening a little bit. And that's, I think, the, that's our kind of offering to the, to, to the debate, is that we think that, that that's kind of unnecessary. You don't need to bias, you don't need to hurt the user experience in favor of your protocol. Wait, so let, let's get into that a little bit more. Like, in terms of like, it seems like you are investigating a lot of different technologies curious who's bringing it and on the flip side you're alluding to you know there are ideologies blockchains tech stacks that are actually preventative from innovation and building in the ux 
like who's sucking <laughs> well so like on the on the on the positive side or on the the multi-currency side like you've got exchanges and their interest is in supporting as many as possible and you see they're trying to make it as easy as possible to manage as best they can across all these different currencies uh on the other side i mean i guess i mean i don't know if i don't know i don't actually think that this is like I wouldn't use the word sucks because what I think happens is that the alliance is that the the incentive that you have for building out tools for your protocol are what give us our prototypes. You know, like that's what funds our prototypes. So the fact that the Ethereum Foundation went and funded .eth, which gave us this prototype, that was great. I don't, I, I have nothing bad to say about that. But it wasn't focused on the key use case, which is. POV Crypto wants to receive Bitcoin, Ethereum, Monero, whatever else you want to receive. You don't just want to receive Ethereum. That's not what you want. So. That was a very PC answer. <laughs> I wanted some more fire. I want to be like, you know, these guys are blowing I don't think it. we're getting it. <laughs> Truthfully, these people are awesome. Like what they, like, I mean, it was inspiring. So like, I don't, and I think that's what I feel about most of the protocol developers. I don't, I don't have, I don't have negative feelings towards them. I think they're they're amazing. I just feel like it's a sort of a different industry, and um, you know, I'm I'm more on the business side. I can't really contribute there, but I I watch from the sidelines and I, I cheer them on. I do have to to tip my hat to you though, because there are two classes of developers ones that are only building on one blockchain at a time because you can't really build on multiple blockchains it takes up all your time and then there's developers like you who are building infrastructure that can be replicated no matter what blockchain comes into the future and so like you i am a cryptocurrency maximalist and so if we were to fast forward into 20 years maybe there's an entirely new set of crypto blockchains that have replaced the old ones but there could still be unstoppable domains because of your guys's blockchain agnosticism so that's super valuable because we need stuff like that to to move forward the industry as other things in the industry kind of get figured out and settled so so hats off to you sir and thank you for doing what you do what gets you most excited about seeing what's unfolded over this past like three six months i mean i i can make a list myself but i'm curious you know what are you observing like wow this is awesome in the crypto world in general yeah uh i think it's just that the the like the the ux is actually getting good like mobile like like self-custody products wallets look just as good as the traditional centralized products now there's all kinds of integrations there's all kinds of things tying together in the background and it's so simple um i think it's all that sort of stuff like i'm just like i'm actually like playing around with apps on my phone and i'm like wow these are really good any Uh, favorites uh yeah i mean there's a lot of favorites honestly like i i mean we have so many partners right now like they were they were talking to right now i'm almost like afraid to afraid to call out some but like i I will call out the you know kind of the the one of the biggest which i think coinbase wallet did a great job when they launched their their self-custody product i thought that the way that the app store worked and things like that i think that's a great example and i'm starting to see uh more and more of these kind of like dap stores being baked into apps and i think that's that's so cool because it means that like every time you know, we come up with something that gets some users excited. We can go to some other app out there with all with some other users, and we can trade really easily. Be like, oh yeah, well I, sh- I should I should add my I sh- you should add my app to your app store, and I'll add mine to your, you know to yours, and we can. It, it's this like easily flowing thing. Um, so that's just 
I think that that's probably the thing that has me the most excited right now. I would agree. I'm also a really, really big fan of the Coinbase wallet. It's kind of where you see all these different tools of blockchain kind of all exist in the same spot. Uh, and you can kind of, you can get overwhelmed with how much stuff there is to do in there. It's actually kind of funny that you guys are such fans of the Coinbase wallet. I have been watching and kind of like interested in scoping it out. But for the most part, I have a pretty negative view about Coinbase. I've been calling them the AOL of crypto. So <laughs> I don't know. I feel like a lot of things that they're doing are just like really misguided. But at the same time, like, you know, they've definitely always hit a few home runs. You know, so that's why they're here. Well, that's why they're important. There's other third-party Web3 browser DApp store wallets that, that function just as well as Coinbase's. That, so if there's if that's not the one for you, Christian, you can use the other one. Hey, Coinbase at least has Bitcoin on it. Yeah, this one would be just Ethereum. That is true. Coinbase wallet is like a, an Ethereum EOS Web3 browser, but it's also got all the other proof-of-work blockchains on there too. So that is pretty cool. Token Airy. Token Airy. Like token A R Y, that one's that one's a pretty good one as well. Brad, it's been great having you uh, come over, talking about uh, talking about unstoppable domains, kind of asking you some hard questions. It was a lot of fun for us. Where can our listeners find you? Who do you want to hear from? All that good stuff. Yeah, so you can go to unstoppabledomains.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter. That's where you see most of the most of the news dropping. And then uh, if you want to actually talk domains, then. Uh, telegram channel is uh it's pretty wild in there will unstoppabledomains.com become unstoppable at some point uh it will in the future and we'll also have versions uh versions at least simplified versions as we go for sure cool awesome dog fooding nice <laughs> all right brad thanks for coming on pov crypto you guys can find the podcast at pov crypto pod you can find me at Trustless State, both on Medium and on Twitter. Christian? You guys, you can find me at CK underscore Snarks. And if you're in New York for Blockchain Week, you can probably meet up with me and David. We're both going to be there. I know we're trying to record a bunch of podcasts, so hit us up. Brad, are you going to Are you gonna go to uh, Blockchain Week too? I'll be there. Awesome. Consensus, Ethereal, both, neither? Uh, all of the above. Nice. Oh, fool.